Hello and welcome to EM Talk. EM Talk is a podcast sponsored by Axon Education and the Texas EMS School, and we are devoted to diving into the real world of EMS and everything relative. We interview real EMS providers, real hospital providers, real patients, and get the real story on what's going on currently in the world of EMS and what we can do to make it better. Okay, so uh, this is EM Talk, and on this episode, we're going to have Chief Les Stevens from San Marcos and uh, Fire Marshal Kelly Kistner um, from Frisco Fire Department. And we're going to be discussing the West Fertilizer Plant explosion and the impact that that has had in the fire community as a whole. And so I want to let uh, these guys kind of tell you a little bit about about their backgrounds, and then we can jump into some some conversation about this. So uh, Chief Stevens, why don't you uh, introduce yourself, tell us uh, what you're doing now and, and where you started. Absolutely. Thanks uh, again, Judson, for having us today. My name is Les Stevens. I'm the fire chief for the city of San Marcos. I've been here uh, just over 12 years. Prior to that, I worked uh, for the Garland Fire Department for about 18 and a half years. And my relationship to the West uh, fertilizer plant explosion, um, as Kelly and I'll get into, the state of Texas has a law that requires that all line of duty death investigations or line of duty deaths have an investigation that is conducted by the state fire marshal's office. And they do that through a partnership with agencies such as the Texas Fire Chiefs Association, the State Firemen and Fire Marshals Association. Um, And I was one of five members from TFCA uh, that were contacted to work on the strategy and tactics review and the line of duty death report separate and apart from Kelly's efforts as uh, one of the investigators. So that's how I came to be involved in this incident. Okay, okay, thank you. And uh, uh, do you want, uh, Mr. Kisner? do you want to go by Chief or Kelly? That's or... Yeah, that's how we refer to in the department, that's fine. Okay, uh, Chief is fine? Yes. Okay, Chief Kisner, um, why don't you tell us where you started and where you're at now and how you were involved? So uh, I'm currently with the Frisco Fire Department. I've been here about nine months. Uh, prior to that, I worked with Chief Stevens in San Marcos. Uh, and prior to that, I was at the State Fire Marshal's office where at the time of the West explosion on April 17th, 2013, uh, I was the Assistant State Fire Marshal and responded to the, the site of the explosion and was there for the next 31 days as part of the unified command structure over the investigation and was the incident commander for the state fire marshal's office and was partnered uh, with a national response team leader out of uh, ATF. And so we spent the 31 days on the ground processing the scene. And then we all worked together for about the next three years, uh, going through and looking at all that evidence and doing additional forensic testing and interviews. And so I became very intimately aware of uh, all the ins and outs of the incident in West, and we worked with the team that Chief Stevens was on uh, to ultimately produce the final report that the State Fire Marshal's Office uh, published regarding the, the line of duty death uh, report for this explosion. Wow. So um, two individuals that were very, very involved uh, in this situation. And now I sat through a um, I guess that you call it kind of like a, a TED talk about this uh, investigation that Chief Stevens put on 
Um, I guess it was last year at one of the fire chiefs, uh, Texas Fire Chiefs Association events. And um, I guess I didn't realize the extent of uh, the scene there at the explosion. Um, when, when we heard about it via news, media, whatever, um, it was, and they made it seem like, okay, yeah, it was a big explosion, but it was just this one little piece of this land. Now, so can you kind of tell me how much area did this explosion actually impact? I mean, how much, how much surface area are we talking about here? Yeah, I'll tell you. So um, initially, you know, most people think of this as the, it affected the West Fertilizer Plant, and that's what you kind of hear about. That particular piece of property was just over 14 acres, um, and uh, there was there's a little more to it though because uh, that blast uh, ended up damaging structures that uh, in a 37 square block area of the city oh, wow. of West. So when we look at 37 square blocks. Um, have over a hundred million dollars in property damage uh, wow. that gets to a point where it's much more far-reaching than just that one property like what we see in a lot of we'll say our structure fires um, or something of that nature um, so uh, quite an area and um, a lot of people affected by it. 260 people were injured 150 structures that were damaged or destroyed including you know the apartment building the nursing home um, and all those are all material losses, uh, not counting the, the 10 first responders, the two hometown heroes and the three citizens that were lost uh, throughout town as a result of that explosion. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, that's I think that's the part that was the most shocking to me is when I discovered, you know, how how big of an impact this thing had on that community. And any any community is going to be kind of startled by something like that. But I mean, we're talking direct direct involvement from a huge piece of that that town there um and so how many let's say we had a building catch fire where i'm at you know just a normal commercial building two stories maybe 20 or 30 tenants how many people would be involved in an investigation of a fire that size normal estimation i guess well depending on the community it may be they may call in for help. You may have, you know, five or six, you know, uh, you know, and you're talking about a small building, correct? Right, right. Yeah. You know, standard house fire, if you get two investigators, it's usually a good day. Uh, I've been involved in one where we had an apartment complex that was heavily damaged and we ended up with about 40 investigators. But again, we had to call in outside resources and again, the ATF came in to help with that one. Uh, so when you look at it, uh, most communities, including West, did not have the resources in order to conduct this investigation. Right, right. So it just depends on the size of the community. But in some communities, if you get one, it's great. Um, and even in the big cities, if it's a what we'll just call, you know, standard structure fire response, if, if you get two or three investigators, it's a, it's a really good day. Well, so how many investigators had to be included or personnel really had to be included in order to, to control this thing and investigate it? Just from what we'll call sworn law enforcement, we'll look at uh, local, state, and federal law enforcement. Um, there was over 30, there were, there were over 35 agencies on the ground and over 130 
law enforcement personnel that processed that scene uh, for those 31 days. Wow. And that, I mean, I think that also kind of gives him a picture in comparison. You compare the two concepts, you know, house fire and then that, and that gives a, a pretty good image of how large this incident really was and how much impact it would have. Um, so, I mean, a lot of these details, the, the little things can be can be found in, in the report is, as you said, I mean, you can, you can look up a lot of this, but uh, it's from someone that was there, uh, what was the most difficult part about investigating something like this? I'll tell you what that. For us, it started on that very first day on the 18th, uh, you know, that the very next day on the 18th. Um, you're in a tough position. You've got a small knit community. You've got a community that wants to know uh, why their missing firefighters have uh, not been recovered from the scene at this point. And so this is where we started working with the, you know, the Texas uh, Line of Duty Death Task Force and the Fire Chiefs Association, the other groups that had come in. And so, uh, you know, when you walk onto the scene for the first time and you know that your job is to go in and remove um, and recover uh, those, uh, those fallen heroes that have been there, and you, you look at that, uh, that was probably the toughest part for us of the whole deal. It was first time really on the scene. And now we're going to, to recover these first responders, these hometown heroes uh, who perished in that explosion. So that for us was the toughest part uh, as we went down uh, this road of the investigation it was just, it was the human piece, the community piece, and knowing that we had a responsibility uh, to those fallen firefighters, to their families and to that community, despite the massive damage that we were working amongst. Wow, so Chief Stevens, you were gonna chime in on that as well. Yeah, I, I mean, Kelly touched on it, just a, a probably a little bit different take, but the same line, it was how personal this was. The people that were key central figures to the investigation were the survivors. They were the folks that had this blast have claimed one or two or three more people. We were sitting across the table from them the next morning, interviewing them and trying to get a statement from them about what had transpired. And what we came to learn through that process was that a lot of these people, because of the devastation of the blast itself, didn't have a home to go home to. Wow. Uh, they didn't have cars. Uh, if their vehicles were parked in the right location, um, their vehicles were damaged and they didn't have transportation and they were grieving the loss of very close friends. Some of the, the personal relationships of the individuals that were lost in the incident and the survivors were lifetime friendship kind of things. And so it was, it was a very emotional thing and something had to be handled delicately because we had a job to do, but we also had to be respectful of what they were going through. And a lot of them had lost their homes, they had lost friends, they had lost their vehicles, the infrastructure under the ground throughout a good portion of West, be that natural gas, power, water was damaged and, and wound up being out of service for, uh, in some cases, days, weeks, or months. And so uh, that was the, the thing I managed to uh, stay in contact with a couple of folks that we met that first morning uh, over the few years since then. And uh, it's, it's one of those things that uh, just doesn't ever, doesn't ever go away. They'll, they'll be dealing with this uh, likely 
in some form or fashion for the rest of their lives. And that was that was probably the hardest part for us was to uh, uh, to be able to maintain a professional demeanor while realizing they're going through something that was very, very real to them. Well, and, you know, being a first responder, a lot of times we're able to just disconnect and do our jobs and, you know, go on. And it seems like this is one of those that it just couldn't work that way. There was no way to do the jobs that y'all were there to do and disconnect, um, which makes it 10 times harder to get something like that done because now you're trying to emotionally deal with it as well and be the right kind of person for these families, like you said, that are counting on you guys. And, and really, there's nothing you can do to help them. It's just what can we do to resolve this thing and get it done with so that they can go on and, and try to get, get moving forward. Um, now, this uh, something I, you know, I, you couldn't have planned for, for this to happen, but uh, when we went out to eat the other day, I remember that the, even the guy that was running the restaurant we went to ended up having relatives that were involved in that, that situation. Um, and so that, that to me was the impact that it had goes everywhere. There's, there's so many different connections from this one small community and this one incident. So I'm sure y'all are right. I mean, this is going to affect these people the rest of their lives. Um, so had either of you ever worked a, a scene like this before? I'll go first because Kelly probably has. I, I would say I've not worked anything of this magnitude. I've worked some large events as far as a structure fire. I've worked some small explosions. I've worked um, a gas explosion in a residential neighborhood that um, claimed three lives and, and destroyed the, the residents uh, where the gas leak was originated along with damaging some nearby residents. But this magnitude is, uh, is something completely different I think this thing registered um, all the way in Dallas on the Richter scale. It was a 2.1 magnitude earthquake um, all the way in Dallas, uh, which is um, several miles north of, uh, of west. I'm trying to get you an exact measurement, um, but it was, uh, uh, let me tell you, 70 miles south of Dallas, and it still wow. registered a 2.1 uh, as an earthquake there. So I've not dealt with anything to that extent, I've dealt with fatality incidents, but never an incident that claimed this many lives. So this was this was something new, even for those of us that have had some uh, some large incident experience. It was probably beyond anything that I'd seen before. Wow. You know, Justin, I'd agree with Chief Stevens. Um, I had I worked several gas explosions, multiple fatality gas explosions, and we were only two months and two days um past the the loss uh in brian of their firefighters at the knights of columbus hall so the same team that responded to west had just come out of brian uh, you know by the time that we had gotten back and gotten back into basically work mode and back to our normal duties we were a month and a half or so into it after after brian when this particular happened so um even brian was a, a large-scale event but I've never worked anything that was of the scale that West was. Uh, I think the, the saving grace uh, for a lot of us was the fact that uh, the national response team leader that came in from ATF had been 
at the Pentagon on 9-11. Um, he had worked the, uh, the Olympic bombings. Um, and so, uh, you know, we had somebody that had seen large scale events and it was a great mentor and a great resource for us to have on the ground here in Texas. I imagine when you're when you're in that situation and you're working something that big, you're thinking, man, this is, you know, it's kind of like when you're that feeling you get like you're in your own movie, like this must be just the biggest thing ever. And and it is. I mean, that's a huge deal. And then you think of that guy and he's like, well, yeah, I, I did 9-11. And it's you try to imagine that as well. It's it's incredible that there are things like this that happen. Um, and most people have no idea how that gets dealt with. And, and you guys have been a part of those kinds of things and learned how to deal with them. And we get, we get students all the time that, you know, they want to be not just fire service. They'll be very specific. They want to be fire marshal. They want to be investigators. And that's what interests them is somehow they've been impacted by some event like this. And that interests them to try to help other people through those kinds of things. So what made you guys want to do what you're doing with this? Because you don't have to be a part of that investigate. You could just, you know, you could just go be a part of the fire service and, and do your fire service work, but you guys chose to be on teams that investigate these kinds of things. So what, what made y'all want to do that? Yeah, I'll tell you, uh, Judson, one of the things was obviously I was at the state fire marshal's office and uh, chief of field operations for inspections, investigations, public education. So when something of this magnitude happens, uh, it was a duty to respond. Um, but to be able to uh, not just do the job, but to try and carry the message forward and quickly learned at the state uh, with the line of duty desk, that was either involved with, reviewed, investigated, consulted with, with my staff on 33 firefighter fatalities in the time that I was there. And what you're trying to do here is I, I do it so that hopefully those in the fire service can learn from those lessons so we don't repeat them and so that we can make the fire service safer across Texas and across the country. And that's why any chance that we have to share some of those lessons, uh, I feel that we have to do doing the investigation, being on the ground, getting dirty is one thing, but what do we learn from that? Whether it's a single family home where it's a fan that caused the fire and we find out that fan's been recalled and we're trying to get the message out of a recall, or we have a firefighter who dies or multiple firefighters, and we look at the lessons learned from that so that hopefully we don't lose another firefighter for the same exact reason. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that most of us that, that get into this line of work probably don't foresee our involvement in an event of this magnitude at the beginning of our career. Um, you kind of grow into these things and that's why you see a lot of, a lot of folks with uh, either not much hair or gray hair uh, on the scene when these things happen because um, you probably need all the stuff that you've encountered up to that point to really be able to process and deal with this and to be able to, to do this justice. And the group that we had on the, the fire chief side doing the investigation, I think, was outstanding. Um, Steve Bass was the fire chief in Grapevine. Uh, Steve retired with uh, 48 years in the fire service. Um, Brian Crawford was the fire chief in Plano at the time. Brian had been one of the investigators hired by the city 
of Charleston to do the SOFA Superstore investigation and uh, just a powerhouse all the way around in the fire service. Danny Kistner is the fire chief at McKinney. Uh, Danny's been one of the most outspoken advocates of fire safety um, in the state of Texas of, of anyone uh, in a fire chief's office. Jimmy Chu, Jimmy just recently retired from the city of Stephenville as uh, the fire chief there with also, I think 48 years of service. Um, you know, I was the, the puppy in the whole thing uh, with, you know, right at, at that time, probably not quite 30 years total in the fire service. And so you've got to put together people that can pull from a vast array of experiences and that can take that and present it in a way that it's useful to the people that read the report. And that's what I would encourage those folks listening to your podcast to do is to take time to go and get the report. Because one of the things that we discussed with Chief Kistner and Chief Keneally, who was the, the state fire marshal at the time, is if the five of us were going to spend the time on it to do it and get it right, we didn't want it watered down. We didn't want it edited um, to the point that the person reading it wouldn't be able to take away the lessons that we thought were critical. And they agreed from the outset not to do that. And they were, they were true to their word in that other than a few grammatical errors that they fixed for us, they printed what we wrote. And so I think that is part of it. The other part of it is the further you go in your career, um, the more confident you get in your ability to deal with things like these. And I know Kelly and I, um, we like a challenge and we really like something that, that tests us, uh, you know, in large scale events at this point um, are what really tests, you know, what we think we know and how good we think we are. And it makes us think, and it makes us kind of step up our game. And so you hate for it to be in such a tragic event that you get that test. But uh, I think uh, people that are at this point in their career, like Kelly and I are, we look for those opportunities. And uh, we're the guys, you know, on the sidelines yelling, you know, put me in, put me in. Um, and there's a ton of other folks, not just Kelly and I, that want those opportunities. Uh, there's a lot of folks that, that want them. And, and again, we're not wishing for anything bad to happen, but we want to be um, in the game. Uh, you know, when you're behind and time's running out, you believe in your abilities as much as those around you. And uh, I think we had a great group on this from the ATF, the state fire marshal's office, uh, you know, the TFCA's uh, folks for the, the line of duty piece was just a great group all the way around. But logistically, you talked a little bit about how do you plan for it? Um, how do you plan to feed 130 to 230 people that are there from out of town? They don't have a kitchen. They don't have a microwave in their hotel, wherever they're staying. Um, and you've got to feed them, you know, three meals a day and find showers for them and all that in a city whose infrastructure is devastated. So the people out doing the actual investigation are really probably the smallest in number of the entire thing. It's the people that have to be there in support of those activities that you've got to take care of and, and be able to plan for. And that's what drove, I think, the magnitude of this is have enough people to investigate something of this size was tremendous, but to be able to support them is, is an even bigger undertaking. Yeah, and, and that is definitely something I didn't think of. You know, they, you, you guys went and you're, you're guests in this town and you're there for an extended period of time. And like you said, the things that you needed to be able to rely on to, to take care of basic needs have been destroyed. And so now, 
somebody's got to figure out how to do all that. So is part of the, the response team, is that just their job, the logistics um, of managing it? Or how do you decide who's going to do that? In this case, um, some units come with some built-in support. The ATF brings some ability to support themselves. The um, Texas Task Force One and Two uh, come with the ability to, to fend for and support themselves. Um, folks like myself and the other folks that, that were put to work on the investigation piece, we just grabbed a bag and a, a change of clothes um, and got in our trucks. And so, no, we weren't prepared for that. But luckily, that's where folks like um, the uh, Red Cross, I think there's some Christian ministries, outreach programs that are very well organized, and uh, they mobilize just about as quickly as responders do to, uh, to show up in those situations and start to um, procure the food, prepare the food, serve the food, clean up, make it known to those there what uh, services are available. Um, to provide, and they come, unbelievably, they come with buckets full of toothbrushes and toothpaste and things that you probably ran out of the house, or at least some people probably ran out of the house without. They've thought ahead and had a chance through their experience in other similar situations to know what those items are going to be, and they have them there almost like a commissary, so you can continue to focus on why you're there, and they take care of those needs, and some of them you can tell them, hey, I need this, and they'll send a volunteer to a store, even if it's in another town, to get what you need. And the next time you come back through, they'll have it there waiting for you. So it's truly a, a tremendous thing to see it uh, in action, to see how it works and to see all the volunteers. But honestly, it's probably those volunteers that show up and really make it where everyone else, the, the folks with all the specialized skills and training can do their job. They couldn't do it near to the level they do if those volunteers didn't come from all over the state and beyond to support that effort. Wow. And that, that is definitely a big piece of this that I want people to take away is that there are, there are ways to be involved in things like this. There are ways to be, to be helpful and to be valuable. Um, it doesn't always mean being the, like you said, the one with the specialized skill. In fact, that's a very small part of what's happening. Um, and so, you know, if, uh, something that I would encourage people that listen to, my, to our podcast to do is, um, look at how you could become a part of some kind of volunteer agency that responds to things like this. I know, um, from working a lot of different, uh, MCIs and, and deaths and just all sorts of nonsense that happens in, in EMS as well, um, there are actually, volunteers who come and clean up crime scenes, um, volunteers who come and make sure that people know how to get with funeral services and people that come and help you pack up your loved one's things and stuff like that. And I think that that's, that's pretty interesting. And we don't think of that on the fire side of things very often, because unless you're involved in something like this, you may never have seen what that looks like. Um, so, uh, the report, if, if anybody hasn't read the report, it's definitely interesting. Um, I had the benefit of having like my own audiobook version of it by having Chief Stevens um, read it to me almost and, and go over it. And that was awesome. So I encourage everyone to do that. But I want to hear what, 
what has this done for the fire community as, as a result? I mean, what, what has changed? What did you guys learn? You talked about that being the most important part of it is that we learn how to keep things from happening again and how to make this a safer field to be in. So what did the fire community learn from this? I think the, the lessons are numerous um, and there are several of the, the findings um, in the report, you know, speak for themselves. But what the fire service took away from this was because of the efforts of folks like Chief Kistner, uh, Chief Crawford, Chief uh, Danny Kistner, uh, separate from Kelly, myself and others, you know, we took this report and the lessons learned here in Texas, and we've shared that. Um, I know Chief Keneally, who was the fire marshal, visited every county, and Kelly can get into some of the maybe more particulars, but visited every county in Texas that had a similar facility and met with the people there to make them aware of the issues and the hazards associated with it. We took the report and uh, turned it into a class and an article, shared it through fire engineering, FDIC, um, to reach people in communities around the country that had these facilities to make them aware of some of the issues. Uh, we also have been invited to present um, at different fire chiefs and uh, training groups around the country since then uh, to share some of those lessons learned. So again, I think it's a matter of having the information and then not hiding it or not sitting on it, but trying to actively pursue opportunities to share it with people who need it and that may have something similar. And then I think the, the next thing is, well, what if it's not a fertilizer plant? It doesn't mean that someone could just check out and say, well, I don't have a fertilizer plant in my jurisdiction. Well, you probably don't, but it doesn't mean you don't have a large uh, wooden structure with some other hazards, although it may not uh, explode and, and create a 2.1 magnitude uh, you know, earthquake on the Richter scale 70 miles away. It doesn't mean that you can't take away some changes in strategy and tactics, some changes in incident command, some changes in how to funnel information from bystanders who are familiar with the facility and know the risks associated with it into the people developing the strategy for the incident. So I think that the takeaways are, are almost endless, but I think the most important part was that we have been very forthcoming and willing to share that information with anyone who wants it. And I think we produced a great report that if someone just reads the report, they'll still get something out of it. Obviously, if Chief Kistner, myself, or someone else is there to narrate that, that's going to add to it. But the report itself is, is useful as far as just some good time to, to read it and try to digest some of the recommendations. You know, Judson, uh, Chief Stevens hit on it. I think that, um, you know, from our perspective, uh, Chief Keneally was very progressive in making sure that we went out and we visited every county. Uh, we had open meetings uh, and partnered with the Texas Engineering Extension Service, TEKS, on these meetings, uh, the local county judges, the, the mayors in those areas. We had the fire departments present so we could talk about the hazards that had been present, you know, there on April 17th and West. And that went on for about a year following the explosion. And, you know, did it work? Um, was, was the message conveyed? Uh, did they listen? I think if you fast forward about 13 months later and you go to Athens, uh, where they had a fertilizer plant fire, 
uh, and you listen to the company officer and you interview the company officer when we did that investigation, you know, and, and he makes the comment that as they rounded the corner, he quickly realized that it was the fertilizer plant, uh, the fertilizer storage facility was on fire um, and he kept driving. They didn't stop to try and put it out. They didn't stop, you know, to try and fight that fire. What they did is they evacuated the people who were immediately around it. Um, they backed off and realized that the risk was not worth any gain since they had the citizens out of the area and they just started evacuating. And in that particular one, we didn't have an explosion. We still had the fire and, you know, everybody uh, on that particular one went home. So I think that message got out there. Um, I think that message, you know, uh, played a factor in the outcome uh, potentially of the safety of the Athens firefighters that night. So uh, I, I think you saw an impact from it pretty quick on. Um, and then we see the impact that's happened nationally with some of the changes in the storage of ammonium nitrate through some of our different NFPA standards and NFPA codes um, to keep our firefighters safety by safer by addressing that on the front end through codes, code compliance and best practices. I think, you know, I know that you guys don't do these kinds of things to, to get any kind of praise. Um, although uh, people try to give it to you, I saw Chief Stevens, you know, when chief of the year and try to deny it all, all night, anytime somebody brought it up, he's like, ah, no big deal. Um, and I think that's honorable, but surely it has to make y'all feel good that, you know, that investigation that y'all did on that plant uh, almost immediately, very quickly made a difference and probably saved several people's lives because they knew there's no reason for us to even try. We need to stay away and we need to get people away from here. And I mean, that, that has to give you so, at least some confirmation that what you're doing is making a difference there. So I think that's, that's really cool. And uh, even if y'all don't feel pride from that, I think uh, that's, that's awesome. And um, I think that's something to take away from that is that that's what a lot of this field is is there are a lot of bad things that are going to happen. There's a lot of mistakes that are going to happen. And we're trying to create learning experiences from all of it. And uh, the whole QA, QI process of these types of things is, is what really makes a, a big difference in the future. And while we can't do anything about what's already happened, we can take those things and try to make an impact for others. Um, so I don't want to keep y'all much longer. So what I, what I want to do to, to close us out is, is just ask uh, a couple more or at least one more question from, from either one of you or for both of you. And that is um, what, uh, what kind of, I'm trying to think out of phrases. What would you say to the firefighter out there or the student out there that's thinking of being a part of an investigation team like what would you say to them is the most important thing to to consider when trying to position themselves to be a part of something like that i'll, I'll go first if kelly doesn't mind the, the one thing i would make sure that we stress here is do not under any circumstances self-dispatch to something like this it is going to be a mess and, you know, I was sitting in my office the night that, that the explosion occurred, and I knew it was just an hour or two away, but I also knew, you know, you stay in your lane. And, 
you know, as the system starts to uh, engage and the notifications start to be made, the people that need to will be pulled into that. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, but, you know, first and foremost, whether it's a local event in the neighboring city or ESD or jurisdiction, you know, one of the things that I want to make sure we get out is do not, do not ever self-dispatch. Wait until you're called, work within the frameworks that are created ahead of these events. Then when you are called, or if you want to position yourself in a position to be one of the people involved, I think you have to be active in your part of the fire service. In Kelly's world, that's in fire prevention and the fire marshal's office. Kelly is one of the, the go-to guys around the state. He properly positioned himself, you know, as the assistant state fire marshal uh, to be involved in this. I was active with the Texas Fire Chiefs Association um, and had worked on a couple of these on a smaller scale uh, previously um, in, a, in a lesser capacity. And so I think you've got to, just like with anything else, you've kind of got to work your way up into that uh, before you're going to wind up in, in one of the roles to be in charge of it. And it's not something to take lightly. It is, it is a huge responsibility. I think that speaks to the amount of time Kelly mentioned early on. You know, we spent two plus years, close to three years all in on this. Um, so it's a huge time commitment. Make sure before you get involved in it that you have that kind of time to devote to it and that you're doing it for the right reasons. Because it's not, again, it's not about us. It's about being able to give answers um, first and foremost to the family members of the people who perished. Secondly, to the agencies that those people were members of. And then I think tertiary is, is the fire service as a whole, be that the state of Texas or beyond. You know, Judson, I agree with Chief Stevens on all that. And I think that, uh, you know, he talks about, uh, you know, all the different organizations and kind of positioning. Uh, I think it comes back to building relationships. Uh, you've got to get off your island. To, to build those relationships. Uh, you've got to reach out to other departments, other organizations. And through that, you're gonna pick up different experiences, different trainings. Uh, you're gonna become more proficient at what you're trying to do to, to put yourself in that. Uh, I think that as you go through this, and, and we saw this with investigations, uh, you know, coming out of 2010, 2011, moving into, uh, you know, towards 2016, 17, uh, with the review of a lot of the, the Willingham cases, uh, the Willingham case and a lot of other um, arson cases that were out there, you've got to be open-minded. You've got to listen to others. You can learn a lot from that and uh, just be professional. And uh, no matter what we do, uh, we've got to remember that we've always got to be professional, be open-minded. And I will tell you that the investigation in West was, was, as, was as successful as it was because everybody who was involved in any piece of that investigation, they checked their egos at the door and they were ready to work as a member of a team. So it's not about us as an individual, it's about us as the purpose of what we were going in to do. So check the ego, be professional, and do not compromise your integrity as you're going through this process. I think uh, both of you said very different things, which is, is interesting to me and I, I like it. Um, and it's, it's good advice. I mean, for, for those firefighters out there, those, uh, whether you're a student and still, still in the learning process or you're 
already working where you're a chief somewhere, whatever. I mean, you're hearing advice from two people that have um, ended up, I assume, where they would like to be and um, in, a, in positions to do a lot of good for other people. And so it's good advice that hopefully someday yields something for, for some young person who's trying to work, work into what they want to be and what they can do for, for others. So um, that, that's really, I mean, that, those are the questions I had. That's the conversations I wanted to have. I have a million other things I could talk to either one of you about that would be interesting to me. Um, but I know that uh, it's a Friday and y'all are in, hopefully closing out y'all's work days here pretty soon. And um, I, I don't want to take up any more of y'all's time. I really appreciate it. Y'all have uh, made today uh, worth waking up. So I appreciate that. Thank you, Judson. Thank you again for the opportunity. And I want to thank Chief Kissner for jumping on here uh, with me at the last minute. Like I said, uh, I knew he would have a lot to add to the conversation. And Absolutely. if you want to uh, come at it, this, uh, this same incident from a different direction, perhaps on a later podcast, I think that'd be something we'd be happy to do. But thank you again for the opportunity. Hope you guys both have a great weekend.